You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So we've got a very brief little bit of NFL news. I want to talk about Kenny Clark. I mentioned it uh, yesterday, but we didn't get to it. Instagram-y question. But I also have seen it now in the Facebook group. And the question is, and I know 99-ish percent of people will um, have the same answer, but it's worth at least discussing. And when I get into detail, you'll see why. But is Kenny Clark worth $18 million? That's the question. It's a lot of money. It's definitely a little bit more than I make currently. Also had another question. This one was from Andy, and it is, if you had to choose, would you build this Packers team so that it wins in the North or build it to beat the Niners? Again, there's an obvious answer, but allow me to elaborate. And then I want to discuss an article that was written yesterday that discusses why Matt Ryan could possibly give us all a little bit of hope. But before we get there, make sure you are also in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group and like the Facebook page. If you haven't let, I'm not editing it. To be fair, editing is a hard word to say. Some weak coffee this morning. Leave me alone. If you have not done it yet, it would be greatly appreciated if you were able to leave a five-star iTunes review telling the world of the glories of the Packernet Podcast. If you do not use iTunes as I don't, there are other options such as such as Stitcher. Why? See, sentences are just hard sometimes. I think this is just a coincidence. Editing such as Stitcher? You say it. You say it. Before you judge. Otherwise, a massive thank you to Eric and Jurgen. I think I'm saying that right. I'm not sure what the the O with the line through it means, but I'm going with Jurgen, our resident Viking. Thank you all very much for jumping in on Patreon. We are officially up to 89 patrons and only need 11 more to get to my personal goal of 100 patrons. And if I may elaborate, my uh, podcast hosting company was so generous as to update how they um, track statistics. One of the cool new features they have is unique listeners, which means I now know in total how many people are listening, but also how many individuals are listening. And I can officially now say the listening audience, although some of you don't listen every day, isn't just thousands, it's officially tens of thousands. So I don't think I'm being too greedy and asking for 11. If any ye out there, I think that's a sentence people said back in the old days, could spare even so much as a dollar to help support the podcast, it would be greatly appreciated. And again, one dollar is one entry into each month's giveaway. Every month I'm going to be doing a different giveaway. This month, because we will get to 100 patrons, I am determined. If we get to 99, I'll be my own patron. I, I you know, we'll figure it out. But I will select a winner at the uh, end of this month. I will go to said winner and I will say, Sir or ma'am, you have thusly won the competition. What would be the coolest Green Bay Packers t-shirt you can come up with? Might have to be dialed back a little bit because I'm not spending $1,000 on this. But give me some general ideas. I will go out. Have that t-shirt made, designed, slap it on a t-shirt, send it to your house. 
Tell me you've seen a cooler competition than that. You've never seen that. And all it's going to cost you is a buck a month to enter. So, patreon.com slash pack underscore daddy. Hopefully you heard that last part because I had coffee literally up to my mouth. I think things have gotten a little out of control. Why don't we take a break and um, discuss the things that I said we would talk about. Excuse me, sir. Are you living with chronic pain? I'm asking because I got a solution. I know that it's more than just a feeling of discomfort and it can affect your whole life. I know a lot of the people listening have got some type of pain that have prevented them from relaxing, sleeping, and in my case, going to the gym. It's a real thing. My knees hurt, all right? Can't be doing squats or bicep curls when your knees hurt. But here's what I think you need to try. Omax Health. If you're looking to get rid of nagging muscle and joint pain immediately while providing long-lasting recovery, then you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution cryo-free CBD roll-on developed by Omax Health. This is a non-prescription triple-action pain relief roll-on, which is specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. That sounds good. You want to know what the best part is? This 100% natural CBD-powered remedy is going to work its magic within 10 minutes of applying it. Not only that, it's going to last up to 8 hours, which is way longer than any of the -the over-the-counter products. And right now, Omax Health is offering my listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on plus free shipping. This discount also applies toward any product site-wide. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME. That's O-M-A-X-Health.com and enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze as well as anything site-wide. Now that you're up and feeling sprightly, let's talk about something fun you can do. How about the fact that you could probably walk your way all the way to Arizona because you're feeling so good. You can just force gump yourself all the way down to Arizona for the Cactus League Spring Training. That's right. I'm talking about that place with the amazing weather and landscapes, exciting outdoor adventures, incredible food, and of course, lots of baseball. I'm talking 10 baseball stadiums, 15 teams, all there for your entertainment while you choke down a chili dog and kick up your freshly signed sneakers on the shoulder of the guy in front of you. Because I think you can do whatever you want in Arizona. I don't think they have laws. Might want to fact check me on that, though. But Arizona is known for the incredible landscapes, thrilling outdoor adventures. You can go out hiking, biking, jeep tours, hot air balloons, skydiving, jet ski, or just kick back and enjoy the sunset. Whatever it is that appeals to you, maybe it's time for you to go play in your spring training getaway at visitarizona.com slash springtraining. So as I mentioned, it is officially um, NFL cutting season. Teams are just going around with a hatchet, chasing people off. Sometimes it's people you never heard of, and sometimes it's a guy whose name you've heard at a position the Packers need, and everybody's wondering, maybe we should... I'm lying. People aren't wondering. They're just screaming, go get him, Goot, because they see a name that they recognize. They see linebacker, and so that's, I mean, that's due diligence. I read name. I read position. I know need. Due diligence. Done. But in this case, the Philadelphia Eagles have released Nigel Bradham. Now, you know his name because he's been in the league for a very long time. He's 30 years old, and just so we're all clear, that's not necessarily a positive. He isn't the worst linebacker in the history of the world. But if we pick him up, just remember, there's no difference between this and like a B.J. Goodson. Even though you know Nigel Bradham, and you probably didn't know B.J. Goodson. This is not the kind of pickup that is going to fix anything. 
He's one of those guys that's got one of those really weird every other year kind of things. This year, terrible against the run. Last year, he's pretty good. The year before that, terrible against the run. The year before that, he's pretty good. The year before that, really, really awful, terrible against the run. Coverage, it's more of a uh, 2-1-2-1 kind of thing. It's very weird, which, by the way, 2020, actually, it's kind of a perfect year because it's where they match up. So 2019 was a good year, 2018 was a bad year, 2017 and 16, good year, 2015, bad year, 2014 and 13, decent years, 2012, bad year. So bad, good, good, bad, good, good, bad, good, and then this year would be good. And this year was bad against the run, so this would be one of those years similar to 2016 where the the stars align and he's going to have one good year. If you believe in, in any of that nonsense that I'm saying, yeah, pick him up for a year and drop him. However, I mean, if we're just being honest, the guy's just not very good at stuff. At the very least, he's wildly inconsistent. It's similar to Mercedes Lewis. I remember what the the thing with Mercedes is he's the best blocking tight end in the history of the universe. I haven't talked about this in a while, so if you're newish to the show, I went back and looked. The reality is he at times is one of the best, usually in one category or the other. I don't think there's ever been a year in which he was just the best overall blocker in any one category ever. Some years he's really good as a pass blocker and not good as a run blocker. Other years he's really good as a run blocker and garbage as a pass blocker. And some years he wasn't good at blocking at all, including with the Packers. And that's not just because he came here and he's washed up now, which maybe that's part of it. I, I don't know. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm just saying that's. it's not just because he's getting old. He's had lots of years in which he wasn't a very good blocker. But the fact is he's had instances and years and games in which he's been just a freakish blocker and he's built like a freak and so the narrative coming in is this is the best blocking tight end in football and that just was never really true rob gronkowski for example has always been a better blocker than uh, mercedes lewis and so if you want to take a gamble on a wildly inconsistent linebacker that might have a good year 30 year old nigel bradham is an option otherwise if you had him on your list of maybes i don't know i mean listen i i told you what the situation is You go ahead and make your own determination. Also, as far as years in which he's actually been like a legit thousand snap linebacker, 2017 and 18 are it. Maybe 2016, 989. Otherwise, he's around 700. But anyways, this has been your NFL Minute. Let's talk about Kenny Clark, because I thought we were all kind of on the same page. Kenny Clark is a dominant defensive lineman. This is what you want, right? I mean, it's one of the complications with having a salary cap is... Let's say you hit on every single pick in the draft and all your guys become freaks. You can't pay them all. It's kind of one of the weird things. You want all your draft picks to be amazing, but all you're doing is drafting for another team. I mean, you get them for a while, but you're going to have to cut guys. But one of the benefits of, of I guess, one of the drawbacks is that when you hit on a prospect, um, you got to pay them. If somebody becomes... Now, this isn't always the case. I would argue that if you hit on a running back... And then your running back gets to a point where he says, okay, I'm, I'm a freak. I'm one of the best five in the NFL. I want $15 million. You just kind of say goodbye. Although, obviously, that's not the case. Because if it was, they wouldn't ask for $15 million because they would say goodbye and nobody would sign them. And then the price would come down. You get the point. But in general, this is just how it goes. You draft guys. They, you know, very rarely, but occasionally, you're going to hit on somebody that's a freak. And then you pay them like a freak. Or in some cases, if it's a quarterback, if, you know, If they're even somewhat of a moderate starter, you pay them like a freak. But outside of quarterback and running back and kicker and punter and whatever, defensive line, cornerback, wide receiver, anyone along the offensive line, there is a market standard that says, okay, you're a freak, here's the position, here's how much you make, boom. 
But there are people who just say 18 million is too much. So here was the direct question from uh, Mr. I am low dog. He says, with all that free time, not sure if he's mocking me or being sarcastic, do a segment on cap percentage on defensive line in a 3-4. I'm not, I'm so not for paying Kenny Clark $18 million. So just by the way he's phrasing it, I have to assume the point is $18 million is too much for a defensive lineman. So it's kind of hard to, to know what my line of attack is, line of defense. Well, you know, not attacking people. It's not what I do here. We're a kind, friendly show. But let, let's just start with what I had said. Let's assume that this is just kind of a known commodity. It's one of the, the I guess, downside of drafting somebody and doing a good job is that at some point you're going to have to give them a mega contract and it's going to hit your cap. Otherwise, the only thing you're doing is you're drafting really, really well and then just cutting everybody before you have to pay them because I just don't want to give out these giant contracts. In which case, you better be drafting really, really well all the time. And even then, I mean, you figure you got a guy for four years, so you draft seven people. Times four years, you got 28 guys on a rookie contract. That's not really going to fill out a roster, and you'd have to hit all the way through the seventh round. It just it doesn't work. Somebody's got to get a second year, second contract. And if you're only signing guys that are mediocre and bad and not re-signing guys that are freaks, you're automatically cutting yourself out at the knees. So, again, let's assume that we all agree on that part of it. The question is, is $18 million too much for a defensive tackle? The only other question we could be asking is, is Kenny Clark worthy of a big-money contract? I think the, the definitive answer is yes. And we, we have to quantify it, right? I mean, it, he's not Aaron Donald, but $18 million is not an Aaron Donald contract. So even when I say big money, I, I'm not—Aaron Donald— Got a $22.5 million contract back in 2018, which adjusted in today's cap dollars is $25.4 million. We're talking about giving Kenny 18. So it's a different caliber, a different class. I still contend that Fletcher Cox is one of the best comparisons. Fletcher Cox was 25 years old. He had just had a breakout season in which he had 10 sacks. Before that, he wasn't even any good. There's more clarity on Kenny Clark because Kenny Clark has basically been dominant since day one. He's never been super high in sacks. He had nine this past year, according to PFF's metrics. I don't know what the official stat numbers are, but nine was kind of his highest. So he's never been a dominant sack guy, which is why he's not Aaron Donald, right? Aaron Donald gets 10, 15, 20 sacks like it's nothing. But Fletcher Cox was kind of not great, and then the in his year four, he just completely broke out. Elite player. 10 sacks. It was the guy they always wanted him to be. They gave him a six-year contract at 25 years old. The average dollar amount for Fletcher Cox was $17.1 million. Now, understand, again, and this, this I think, is another complication. And again, I don't know exactly what the hang-up is, so I'm just hitting a bunch of different things. Every single year, we have to recalibrate what a lot of money is. $17 million was given to him in 2016. In today's dollars, Fletcher Cox was given the equivalent of $22 million. I don't think it's out of line to say that $18 million for Kenny Clark is a steal. For a little bit further context, remember, Ndamukong Sue signed a contract that averaged over $19 million a year back in 2015. That would be the equivalent of $26.6 million. I still contend that is the worst contract ever given to a human being on Earth. But again, just to put it into context, Fletcher Cox got a $22 million deal, and Dominican Sue got a uh, $25 million deal, and Dominican Sue got a $26.5 million deal. 
we're talking about giving Kenny Clark 18. This is Kenny Clark who, you know, he did get off to a slow start last year, but he at, at toward the end of the year was keeping pace with Aaron Donald. If you, I mean, if you just start this thing at week nine, from week nine through the end of the regular season, Kenny Clark was graded as the second highest graded pass rush ahead of Chris Jones, who's getting all of the praise, and, and rightly so. I've always said Kenny Clark and Chris Jones are the identical guy. The difference is Chris Jones gets all the love. Kenny Clark is exactly the same guy. At this point, Kenny Clark had 33 pressures. Chris Jones had 36. Aaron Donald had 41. Sacks, Kenny had six. Chris had seven. Aaron had nine. Nobody else was even in the same stratosphere. You had a couple guys at five and four and three. Six, seven, nine is Kenny, Chris Jones, and Aaron Donald. Those are the three top guys in football, in my opinion, as far as the interior guys. And again, the question is, we've, we've got one of the best defensive linemen in all of football. Are we willing to pay him? And to be, again, remember, a fair contract for Kenny Clark would be $22 million. $18 million is a steal. It's 9%. And also remember, you almost never even pay this money. Fletcher Cox averaged, I forget what it was, but of course you don't pay that in year one. And then in year two, there's a bump in, in how much you pay him, but the salary cap goes up. So it becomes less than that again. So let's say, you know, $18 million compared to $200 million is 9%. Okay, but this year we're going to pay him, what, 10, 13? So effectively, he's only getting six and a half. Okay, but next year it's going to bump up to 18. Okay, but the, the salary cap is going to be 212. And so he's at 8%. And so maybe, I mean, if you look at Fletcher Cox, if you look at some of these guys, like the, the highest ever um, percentage of the salary cap is always toward the end of these contracts. Aaron Donald in 2024 is like one of the highest ever. In 2024, of course, I don't even know if that counts because I don't think they know what the salary cap is. Maybe they didn't even calculate that yet. But again, the salary cap is going to go up as these contracts go up. And and it goes up as a percentage, which means the actual physical dollar amount goes up more every single year. You know, 5% of when it was $100 million would be $5 million. 5% of $200 million is $10 million. So we're to the point now where we're increasing the cap 10 to $12 million a year, and that number goes up every year. But we're giving them actual dollar amounts. We're not giving them percentages. So Kenny Clark's dollar amount goes up $5 million the next year, but this, our salary cap went up 10 And granted, a lot of people's salaries went up, but we were also cutting guys and doing all this other stuff. Again, it's just trying to wrap our head around actual perspective. $18 million is not a lot. $18 million just last year was 17 and before that it was 16 So if we had given Kenny Clark a contract last year, it would have been the equivalent of $17 million. And again, I know it feels like a lot because we've heard in recent memory $18 million contracts and we freak out. And I know over time our minds adjust to what a lot of money is, but I think there's a lag. I think we're still thinking about what last year and two years ago big money was. And the fact of the matter is it's just different now. I was listening to a show just yesterday, I forget what it was, and they were talking about I think they were talking about Chris Jones and they were maybe saying something like, you know, he's not going to get Aaron Donald money. He's not he's not going to get as much as Aaron Donald, which is $22 million. Well, why not? Because the fact of the matter is $22 million isn't Aaron Donald money anymore. If you're going to give him Aaron Donald money, you give him $25 million. If you give him $22 million, that's a way of making him feel like he's getting Aaron Donald money when he's not. I don't think that's a bad deal at all. Now, I don't want to do that because if Chris Jones gets $22 million, guess who's getting more than eighteen? It's Kenny. And I don't know if there's this this maybe waiting it out war that's going on between Kenny Clark and Chris Jones, waiting to see. Like the agents are like, I don't know. You know Kenny Clark is in his agent is in no rush 
to get an $18 million deal done because if Chris Jones signs a $23, $24 million deal, Kenny Clark's price tag just goes through the roof. And to be honest, I think it should. I, I think $18 million is too low. I'm not complaining. But again, I think the perspective is if you look at big contracts for big dominant defensive linemen like Kenny Clark, who's very young, who we want to lock up for the long haul, there's almost no concerns with Kenny Clark whatsoever. He comes in. He's been good since day one. It's a very low-risk proposition. I, I just, $18 million is beyond a no-brainer for me. Again, I, it just, without having dug in and done the math, $18 million feels like too much. I agree. When I heard $18 million, I, I had heart palpitations. But again, just looking at what adjusted dollars is, it's 9%. It's not that much. All right, moving on to the next question from Mr. Andy. If you had to choose a direction, would you build this team to win the North or to beat the Niners? Now, the the very obvious answer is to win the North. The North accounts for six games every year, whereas maybe the 49ers, like this next year, we know we're paying, playing them once. If we see them in the playoffs, that's twice. But it's also more likely over the next five years, there's going to be several years in which we do not see them even once. But since you asked it, and since I don't want to just end it on that because that would be a waste of everybody's time, Let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at it from where the Packers actually are and ask the question, if you're the GM, where are you spending most of your time when you're looking at how do we, what, what direction do we go in? If you're trying to figure out how to improve this team, are you going back and looking at us whooping on the Vikings or beating the Lions or beating the Bears? Or are you spending a lot of time watching that 49ers game saying, what in the world do we have to do? So maybe I'm slightly deviating from the spirit of the question. But I really do believe, as far as building the team forward, watching the 49ers and I think the Eagles, because I find them to be very similar types of team, you know, a, t- a team that we should not have lost to because they weren't that good, but they're built like the 49ers just to a lesser degree. They're a run-heavy team with a very good, very talented, very coordinated offensive line with a good but not super elite quarterback that likes to throw to their tight end, tight ends, They're not just a typical spread it out, sit in the pocket for three seconds and try to find someone down the field. And when we run, it's just kind of a plodding, here's the ball, run it up the gut kind of thing. The Packers just dominated every single one of those teams. But you get a little bit of creativity and coordination in your run game. You get a little creativity in who you throw the ball to, not just outside, but attacking the linebackers with tight ends and things. It's just a mismatch made in in the deepest, darkest recesses of your nightmares. And so I I genuinely believe when we look at priorities, we're not looking at the teams we beat. We're looking at the teams we lost to. Now, you don't want to build the team away from what makes you good enough to beat the Vikings and whatnot. But building forward, the, uh, the goal is to maintain what we have and grow. So assuming we're maintaining what we have and we set a goal to try to at least always maintain, right? You know, if we're getting rid of a linebacker, we got to at least bring that up to where it was. If we do get rid of Mercedes Lewis, we got to come up with some kind of a, a solution to have somebody at least as good as Mercedes Lewis and whatever it is he was doing. These are all bad examples because I don't think we're really getting rid of anybody that's a top-tier guy, but you get my point. If we get rid of Balaga, that becomes a very serious issue that needs to get addressed. But outside of that, by the way, I saw somebody in the Facebook group saying we're romanticizing Balaga. I Jeff definitely disagree. Maybe I talked about this already. I never really know. I talk to myself in my brains all the time, and sometimes I feel like... Because it's the same thing. When I'm sitting at my desk just thinking through things out loud and talking to you right now, it's the exact same thing. Except there's a microphone recording this and gets sent out to you. But for me and my purposes, same exact situation. It's the reason I started a podcast, because I've been doing a podcast my whole life. It's called Talking to Myself About Football. 
But anyways, no. Pick any single game. Go get Game Pass. Pick any game in which Brian Balaga didn't play and just go watch that nightmare. And then come back to me and let me know if you think we're romanticizing Brian Balaga. But the question then is, what does that mean? We got to build this team with the priority of we're not going to lose to these types of teams anymore. And beyond that, if we don't improve this, teams like the Vikings and the Bears and the Lions and those teams that we had, um, I guess we'll say historically beat up on, although we're talking about a one-year sample size, they're going to know how to beat the Packers. Now, it's not an easy thing to do. It's not easy to just be the 49ers or, or the Eagles because, again, we're talking about a very stout offensive line, but it gives you a little bit of direction. The Green Bay Packers are built somewhat like this titanic force, but there's there's a weakness, right? They've got this really good pass rush all of a sudden. We know Aaron Rodgers is talented. Devontae is really hard to contain. Corners are pretty good. But one thing that we know that we can do is, especially for the Vikings, who do have a very good um, running back, they've started to improve the offensive line. I think their center, who I had a lot of fun making fun of because he was one of the worst players in football, did start to improve over time. So if they look at it and say, listen, let's keep building out this offensive line, because first of all, it's not like it's just going to beat the Packers and nobody else. Every team is going to benefit from a great offensive line. But to be able to turn around from being embarrassed in your own home stadium by the Green Bay Packers to be able to demolish and embarrass the Green Bay Packers twice a year, including at Lambeau Field, yes, please. And so the Packers' number one priority is, in my opinion, to build to beat the Niners if we shift away from, I think, the intent of the question. And I think the, the obvious answer to that is linebacker and defensive tackle. Now, specifically addressing the run, I think defensive tackle is the most important thing. That defensive line just got whooped up front. Now, a lot of that was off the edge, and having some really good rangy linebacker types to be able to compensate for, for that type of stuff is going to help. And a lot of that is just Kenny Clark and Zadarius and Preston and those guys just kind of manning up and realizing, look, that was a nightmare. You can't let that happen again. Because obviously not, we're not going to replace. But I, I, I do think, and, and this is a priority for Pettin. The, the, the main point of this is strongly consider the idea that defensive tackle is the most important priority for the Green Bay Packers. I don't know that it isn't. Again, Mike Pettin's first year, we had uh, Mike Daniels and we had Kenny Clark. Maybe the only good position we had along the entire defense, the only solid position in which I would say, nah, we don't really need it. We definitely need safeties. We need more help at corner. We definitely need linebacker. We, we need a lot of help off the edge. Defensive tackle is the one thing we don't need. The first person they signed, one of the, the I think the only big free agent signing they had that year with under Brian Gutekunst was Muhammad Wilkerson. We had two really good defensive linemen, and we signed Muhammad Wilkerson. That's always been a priority for Pettin and, and guys like Pettin. We got whooped by the 49ers because we didn't have help. Now we just have Kenny and kind of nobody else. I know we just signed um, Dean Lowry, and I... I that's an example of, listen, when you got a guy, you got to sign him. Dean Lowry fits the prototype of being a Mike Pettin, long, lean, you know, just he just like lo- likes long-arm guys. You want to know who Pettin likes? Long-arm. Which is also why I'm really excited because I, I just, I wonder if Mike Pettin is as in love with Raekwon as I am. Raekwon Davis, six foot seven Alabama guy with, with sledgehammers for hands, just raw power. Just guy gets me so jacked up. I will be the only person on planet Earth, but I promise you, if at pick 30, the Packers pick Raquan Davis, I'm going to be doing backflip. And it kind of feels like a, a Packers pick. Everybody wants a wide receiver, right? Jalen Rager is going to be available. You know, Kenneth Murray is probably going to fall. It's going to be one of these things where it's like, oh, man, here it comes. 
Is it going to be Rager? Is it going to be Ayuk? Could it be Kenneth Murray? Maybe they'll do something crazy and take like a Troy Die. I don't know. It's going to be something good, though. They're going to announce Raekwon, and I'm just going to do a backflip and break my own neck. It's going to be totally worth it. While everyone else just... Go, Packers Twitter is going to go up in flames. I'm just going to bask in it, man. I'm going to sunbathe in those flames. Six foot seven, three oh six, and that's the thing. At three hundred six pounds, he's kind of lean at six seven, and he is. He's 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 a much larger version of Dean Lowry. Much larger, much stronger, much more talented version of Dean Lowry. Man, I like Raquan Davis a lot, a lot, a lot. This took a weird turn, but I just do. And by the way, I don't think I've watched a single highlight video. I'm I. I don't think I can handle a highlight video of Raekwon Davis. I just watch him play football, and it's like a highlight video for me. I should do a follow-up Raekwon Davis video. I think I will. I've already done one last year when I liked him. But I, but that's that's what we're talking about. Very important defensive line, because Pettin really likes defensive line. We lost because our defensive line got whooped on. I mean, that's one of the reasons, but it's a very major, massive reason. And so getting a big, long, lean dominant, I'm not going to be moved, wreck your run game, kind of a defensive tackle. I tend to think, if you were to ask Pettin, I can give you anything you want, what is it? He's going to say defensive tackle. I know we need a linebacker, but again, some of the best linebackers in football, almost all of them currently in the NFL, the best ones are second-round linebackers. That wasn't the case when Luke Keekley was around, but he's gone. And probably if you want the next Luke Keekley, you're going to have to take him early. But I really doubt it's going to be number 28, you know, the, with a the 28th pick, Kenneth Murray. I'm talking top five type linebackers that are just once in a lifetime that aren't going to make it out. Aren't going to make it out of the top five, top ten, I mean. So to be honest, the odds that we pass up on a defensive tackle for the likes of a linebacker, I would say, are relatively low. Again, it depends on the tiers, right? If 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 Patrick Queen is there, and that's somebody that they have on a different level, way higher than anybody else, they'll probably take him. That's the strictest interpretation of how a best player available system works. You just take him, or you trade out of it if you refuse to take him, because you don't want to just go to a lower tier and lose out on all that value. You want to recoup the value through a trade, if at all possible. Right? I've given the analogy of, of, of dollars. If you have if the 30th pick is $20, and Kenneth Murray is the only guy that's worth $20, you don't just go down your list and say, okay, I'll just take that $15 item, because you're not getting chained. You just lost $5 worth of value. So the idea is you find somebody that'll give you two tens. You trade back and take two tens. They'll take that $20 bill and pay uh, Patrick Queen or whoever they think is worth 20 bucks. Kind of makes sense, right? Uh, this is, we're supposed to be taking another break, but we don't have any time. What to do, what to do. Oh boy, what to do. I guess we'll be a little bit late. Let's take a break and then cover the last topic, which is looking at Matt Ryan. Every single night, local police departments across America receive hundreds of calls from burglar alarms, and the vast majority of the time they have no idea whether the alarm is real or whether or not there's actually a real crime going on. All the alarm company can tell them is that the motor sensor went off. Simply safe, home security is different. If you are like me and you're one of those guys who is hypersensitive to every single sound and is tired of having to sleep with a knife under your bed, Simply Safe is the solution. If there's a break in, Simply Safe uses real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. That means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. You are going to get comprehensive protection for your entire home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells are going to alert you to anyone approaching your home, while entry, motion, and glass break sensors guard the inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, and carbon monoxide poisoning. 
This is 24-7 monitoring by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself, no tools needed, or Simply Safe can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash overtime. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got absolutely nothing to lose. Go now and be sure to go to simplysafe.com slash overtime so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash overtime. All right, so not nearly as much time as I wanted to be able to look at this, but the general idea here, this is an article from Packers Wire. It's a U.S. Today Packers site uh, written by Zach Cruz. Essentially lays out the argument that if you look at it, Matt Ryan had a massive jump. It was Matt Ryan's best career season. He was the best quarterback that entire season, and that was in his second year in this Kyle Shanahan system with Matt LaFleur as his quarterback coach. It was the only year in his career in which he was elected first-team All-Pro. So Kyle Shanahan had gone to Atlanta in 2015. That is with Matt LaFleur under his wing as the quarterback coach. That year, the Atlanta Falcons went 8-8. Eight and eight. He had uh, 4,500 yards, 21 touchdowns, 16 interceptions. The very next year, Matt Ryan had 4,900 yards, 38 touchdowns, and only 7 interceptions. Matt Ryan led the league in touchdown percentage, which is percentage of the time you got a touchdown when you threw the ball. Uh, yards per attempt at 9.3, which is way higher than he's ever had. The next highest he ever had was 8.1. Touchdown percentage, by the way, at 7.1. The next highest, I think, was 5.8. Uh, he led the league in adjusted yards per attempt. Uh, that was at 10.1. His next highest was 8.7, just to show how, how much of a discrepancy there is this year. I mean, this one year I'm talking about, 2016, compared to all the other years. He led the league in quarterback rating at 117.1. The only time he even came close to that was in 2018. He had 108.1. He's never been over 100 other than that. Uh, His QBR was 79.4. That was the highest of anybody. He's only been over 71 other times. He led the league in net yards per attempt. He led the league in adjusted net yards per attempt. Um, And he also led the league in AV, which is a pro football reference metric. It's a... It's, it's your overall value. Again, it's that, that statistic essentially where they're looking at how much value you added on a per-play basis. So according to them, he was the most valuable player in the entire NFL. The AV number they gave him, by the way, was 21. The next highest he's ever had was 18 back in 2012. So the, the idea is, could Aaron Rodgers possibly get the second-year leap? You know, Matt Ryan was in the Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, blah, blah, blah system and was, by all accounts, pretty mediocre, and the team was not great. The very next year, Matt Ryan just something clicks. And if you're wondering, well, okay, but they fell off in 2017, right, that was when Kyle Shanahan left. So, I mean, we all remember Atlanta when they were just beyond dominant. We should anyways, because that was the team that beat us 44-21 to in the playoffs in the conference championship. An unbelievably dominant offense. In fact, after their bye week, which is in week 11, this is in uh, 2016, only two times did they score under 30 points, and both times it was 28. Once, obviously, was the playoffs, 28-34, very famous score. And then once was to the Chiefs, 28-29, to they lost that game. After the bye, their scores were 38, 42, 41, 33, 38, 36, and 44, not including the 28s I already referenced. And it's not like it was much different before that. They, they did have a 15-point game against the Eagles, but otherwise 43, 33, 30, 24, 23, 48, 45, 35, and 24. Ridiculous offense. Number one in points, number two in yards, number one in turnovers in, in a good way. 
number two in first downs, number three in passing yards, number two in passing touchdown, number one in net yards per attempt passing, number five in rushing yards, number three in rushing touchdowns, number five in yards per attempt rushing, number one in yards per drive, number one in points per drive. I mean, they were just completely unstoppable. And again, the question is, can Aaron Rodgers and this offense take that kind of a leap in year two? I don't think it's all that unreasonable. Because if, if you think about it, there, we know of a couple teams that run a similar style of offense. We know that this is a relatively quarterback-friendly offense. And so what are some of the other examples? Well, let's look at Jared Goff. 2017 was uh, Sean McVay's first year there. He took a massive leap. Now, this is his first year, but it was, it was from 2016, he was 42.9 was his grade. 2017 was 75.6. So he, the, the scheme change made him a good quarterback, but there still was a second-year leap. In 2018, he was graded out at 84.3. Now he completely fell back off, but the point is there's still that second-year jump. I would want to do the same thing with Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's not super possible because 2019 was kind of just his first full season, so I can't really do that. The only other thing we could possibly do is maybe go back to the Washington Redskins, but even that gets to be kind of tricky. Kyle Shanahan took over in 2010 when Donovan McNabb was the quarterback. Donovan McNabb was just Donovan McNabb. However, it is fair to point out that his worst year outside of his rookie year was 2010 with Washington. (laughs) Not by a lot, but it's, you know, worth pointing out. After that was Rex Grossman. The next year was Robert Griffin. And then a couple years later was Kirk Cousins. And as we probably already know, Robert Griffin was best in his rookie year and then completely fell off. So I I guess if I were to try to put this into a larger context, I, I think it's a stretch, to be completely honest. It's possible, um... But I think the it's just kind of all over the place. Jimmy Garoppolo was best in his first year. It was only a half a year, but that was by far when he looked the best. It was his first year under Kyle Shanahan, and he hadn't hardly even learned anything yet. Jared Goff got a mass, massive bump in his first year, an even bigger bump in the second year, and then fell off. Kyle Shanahan, or Matt Ryan, was good and then became great, and then a new offensive coordinator came in. So, I mean, there, there's just too many variables. There's, there's the fact that Kyle Shanahan officially is the offensive coordinator, not Matt LaFleur. He was the quarterback coach, which is different. There's different wide receivers, different offensive linemen, different defenses, different head coach. Right? Dan Quinn, the defensive head, head coach guy. You've got just a billion different variables. So it's, it's possible if, if the variables are the same, if maybe it just takes time to get guys like Matt Ryan and Aaron Rodgers into the groove for a while. I don't, I don't know. Or maybe it was just the perfect system for Matt Ryan and it has nothing to do with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know the answer to that. I hope it's true, um, but I'm, I'm content to just stick on the path that we've been on. And the path is Aaron Rodgers is a good quarterback. He knows how to throw to open receivers, pr- presumably. We just got to find him some better talent. We got to get guys more than just Avante that can get open. Ideally, we have some kind of a tight end also that can do that because this system is very dependent on that leaning on this magical breakout year that happens because it happened once with Matt Ryan. A little flimsy, but I appreciate it, and I feel like the offseason is a good time to get overly optimistic. So if you're into that, feel free to listen or read that article by uh, Zach Cruz and get uh, very excited about stuff. Anyways, running very, very late. Got to get going. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one, and bye-bye.